Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and we are back for another episode. And today I have with me Tricia Dascom. Sure hope I got that right. And she is with Silver Regulatory Services. And we are going to delve into the company's services around ESG compliance. It's a topic that a lot of compliance practitioners hear about and worry about, but they really don't know how to tackle it. So I was really intrigued when I came across the company and then Trisha's specialty in this. So Trisha, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, (laughs) first of all, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Tom, thanks very much. It's great to be here with you. So I was wondering if you could give our listeners a little bit about your professional background and how you got to Silver Regulatory Services. Absolutely. Over the last 10 plus years, I've been a practitioner in financial services, cut between both in-house positions as well as consulting positions, and have found a really great home in the world of ESG compliance consulting. By way of background on education, I hold a Bachelor of Science in Biology from the University of Denver and a Master's of Public Health from the George Washington University focused on international health policy and economics. So how did you get to Silver Regulatory Services? Yeah, I guess in the history of my educational and professional background, I had come across our founder and CEO, Physicon, and she and I have been working together in some form or fashion for just about a decade. And when she left to start her own firm, I was the first person she called to join. And it was my great pleasure to come with her. So I've been here since the inception for just about a year and a half. And I was brought in really to focus and grow the ESG arm of our business. So having founded a couple of companies, that's both incredibly exciting and incredibly scary at the same time. So I have some appreciation (laughs) of what you went through. I had the opportunity to visit with Fizza a little bit earlier And she and the company were the subject of another podcast. So I really don't need to take a deep dive into the scope of silver regulatory services. But when I got to ESG, she said you were really the in-house expert on that. So I really wanted to take a dive into that. I've had several podcasts talking about ESG and how that has really led a revolution, not only in corporate investment, but in the way boards of directors think, the way corporations allocate resources to multiple stakeholders beyond shareholders. But you guys were really the first company I've come across that are not commentators on ESG, but you're actually, I would move you towards either ESG practitioners or helping ESG practitioners. So I was wondering if you could just start off with a little bit of an introduction of what is ESG and what's the role of silver regulatory services in helping companies improve their ESG compliance. Yeah, this is a great question. And similar to your initial point, we consider ourselves to be ESG practitioners by way of how focal we are in the space, both with our clients as well as in the industry at large. By way of background, we knew about ESG a number of years ago. My MPH was my first foray into the world of finance and sustainability. I had the opportunity to spend my master's thesis exploring the social return on investment model. And when I came back into the workforce, was really interested to understand how that model could ultimately play out in financial services at large. 
And so it's been a really serendipitous experience to have focused professionally on regulatory and compliance and to see ESG really come up through the pipeline to be impacted by that as it relates to our general suite of clients. You asked me to define this sort of crazy acronym. Environmental social governance means many different things to industry players, but for financial services participants, generally our definition is that environmental social governance is and operates as a lens through which you will and do evaluate the investments that you make for the underlying funds. And by and large, it is often deemed a risk tool. It helps expand diligence by the deal team. It helps expand the sort of comprehensive view a manager has of the investments that they're ultimately making. And it really evaluates a set of risk factors as the acronym lends itself, environmental, social, and governance that were not typically captured in traditional diligence, specifically focused on financial diligence in time historic. So many of my listeners are compliance professionals, largely in the anti-bribery, anti-corruption mm-hmm. space, but also in financial services and a few in trade sanctions. So they're going to be generally familiar with ESG. But I was wondering if CEO comes down or a board of director comes down to a chief compliance officer or even a large shareholder calls the chief compliance officer and says, tell me about your ESG program. And he or she realizes what ESG program, and they have to try to think through how to put one together. What would you suggest are some of the steps they should at least think through initially to putting an internal ESG program together to answer those various stakeholders? Definitely. And the scenario you're outlining is one I think that happens more often than not. We live in in a world where this acronym is still um, sometimes largely unknown. And Predominantly in the past, it has been sufficient for firms at large to be able to respond that they are considerate of ESG matters and to move along. And that time has really come and gone. So as an initial matter and and some of the services that we think through here as a starting point are, one, do you have an ESG policy? Do you have anything you've ever written as it relates to ESG that could form the basis of a policy? And if not, then that's a really great starting point. As regulatory and compliance consultants, We're really well positioned to think through policy with our clients, and it has been a really great and initial starting point, both for us as well as for our client base. And as with any policy, and as every compliance person knows, you should not have a policy that says something that you don't actually do. And so the second step to this is the enumeration of ESG procedures, the guidance document that says with specificity how it is that you're going to manage your ESG policy, who will be responsible for it, who will oversee it, how it will be documented. Those are main pieces that should be captured by the firm's documentation. And then once you have those two pieces, ultimately, it's really important to train the folks who are going to have responsibility for it. And in our view, the entire firm should know about this initiative. It ultimately will be the responsibility of investment personnel. But we have found that the more people you involve in this conversation and the more you work on these types of policies and procedures with all of the staff, the more I think it gets and becomes ingrained in firm culture. So... One of the things I found fascinating about that description is you articulated almost all of the steps of any compliance program Mm -hmm. to comply with any set of laws or rules or regulations. And one of the things I really try to emphasize is there are about five to six core steps you have to take. Trade sanctions may have one or two others, anti-bribery, anti-compliance, one or two others. But you really articulated the four or five, I think, key ones. And if I could summarize, it was a commitment at the top. It was written. 
policies, of course, followed by written procedures. It was training. And then it was communication and follow-up. So that's exactly what compliance practitioners are using in a wide variety of areas. But the other thing that struck me in listening to you, certainly in your opening comments, was how important this has become from a non-monetary or reputational perspective and how much companies, how much investors, how much shareholders and stakeholders and individual employees now are concerned about not only working for companies that have an active and robust ESG program, but using it in a way as a protection if something does go wrong, whether it's your company or even in your supply chain, that you can show that you've taken affirmative steps to be proactive around ESG. Is that a discussion that resonates with your clients? Definitely. I think probably in twofold, and you hit on both of them, but I'll just backtrack a bit. The first is with regard to a firm's culture and what a firm is doing. And in this regard, listeners might be familiar with the acronym CSR, or Corporate Social Responsibility. And this really speaks to the effort that a firm or a management company is taking by way of its own corporate social responsibility. And maybe we can think about that in a different term. We use the term here, citizenship. What are you doing as a firm to be a good citizen, both to the folks you employ, as well as to the neighborhood where you live and how it is that you're contributing outwardly. And that's a really important piece and a really important component to firms adopting and integrating ESG. Investors are in an increasing fashion starting to ask questions, not only around what your ESG program looks like, how is it that you're managing your funds and how is it that investments and funds are being vetted, but also how are you as a firm aligning with that ESG policy? What do you have in place to ensure that what you're holding your funds to is the same threshold level that you're holding yourselves to? So we're seeing that become more and more prominent And then to your other point around sort of risk management and reputational management, certainly on the firm side, citizenship statements and CSR statements, as sometimes they are coined, can definitely be something firms can point to as to where their protective mechanisms are. But when there are supply chain issues, when there are issues with the investment side, having an ESG policy in place to say, At the onset, we evaluated having procedures in place to show that during the course of investment management, those risks were evaluated on an ongoing basis should put a firm in a place where they are less surprised by things that happen uh, sort of in the dark of the night, if you will. And definitely it can act as a description for how comprehensive a risk a firm knew about, and then where there are issues that do bubble up. And we live in a normal world. Things happen all the time. Managers have to be able to react to them. In our daily lives, we have to be able to react to them. This is just one more tool that can help managers sort of see in the dark a little bit. And definitely we've seen managers who may not have investor pressure to respond to ESG, but because they have seen and because the value of these policies has been evidenced to them, they have moved forward with the adoption of this just because it does act as such an important tool in the investment process overall. Well, thank you. You gave me the title for this podcast, (laughs) How to See in the Dark. Uh, Are you familiar with the Business Roundtable statement on the Purpose of Corporation? Yeah, of course. So it struck me in listening to you that you named multiple of the stakeholders that the Business Roundtable named as stakeholders in the interest of a corporation Mm -hmm. now. And that this morning I did a podcast where someone was able to connect in a way I had not thought of compliance and corporate culture to the statement on the purpose of a business corporation Mm -hmm. sort of from the bottom. Mm -hmm. But you just seemed to me to connect it 
from the top, from the investment side. And so when you have shareholders, not only shareholders asking these questions, but you have employees asking these questions, you have your counterparties, your customers asking these questions, and even persons in the supply chain asking these questions. It seems to me that what you're articulating is a framework to be able to not only analyze those questions but and manage those risks, but to give answers to multiple stakeholders that the Business Roundtable has identified are important to every American corporation. That's a great compliment. Thank you for evaluating my commentary with such attention. I think that the statement put out by the Business Roundtable is one that is important in a variety of ways, but certainly was one of the first statements we've had in the States around all of the different folks that have an interest in what it is the corporations are doing. I think that the clients that I work with have a really broad view of their investments and understand that in whatever type of ownership they have of their investment, if you're a private equity firm and you have minority control or majority control, if you're a hedge fund and you own a minority amount or a majority amount, these two pieces really are starting to inform a firm's understanding of their own portfolio and ultimately what it means to minority or with a majority have some level of comment or conversation to the underlying asset and then to understand how that underlying asset ultimately functions. I think that we're starting to transition into a world where the more we think about what ultimately is happening with the investments we make, the more ESG starts to make sense. There have been conversations and dialogues since time historic about whether or not ESG is soft, whether or not this is just something that we're adding on for the sake of adding on. But more and more the academic literature is coming out to show the extreme value add of evaluating not only your investment process and your investments, but also how those investments are functioning in a really mindful and strategic manner. Because at the end of the day, your reputation as a firm is on the line. The people you employ's reputation is on the line. And predominantly, this is all for the good of name the person. It's for the good of the clients, certainly, but it's also for the good of the folks you employ. It's also for the good of the families of the employees that are working for you. And the trickle-down effect, though that has a very different economic meaning, so I don't mean it in that context, can be quite large. And I think it's a really beautiful way to start thinking about the investment process and the investment industry overall. So... I ask about ESG from the sort of corporate perspective, the CCO perspective. What if a investment firm comes to you and says, we want to start evaluating either our portfolio companies or our potential acquisitions from the ESG perspective, and we want some ESG reports. What would you suggest that they start looking at or questions they should start asking? Yeah, that's a great conversation to have. So at the start of any evaluation of this nature, the definition that needs to be in place for any firm is what is it that you deem to be a material ESG risk for the business that you are evaluating? SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, was one of the first players to put out that materiality should be the standard used for determining what investment managers will look at in terms of ESG risk. And so as a starting point, I think that that that's a really rational place to begin. What is or is not material? And then from that list, are there any underlying subfactors that can actually be measured? So if we take, for instance, a manufacturer and we identify that that manufacturer's risk is along environmental lines, maybe they have had a few instances of spilling, maybe they have really inefficient machinery that is using just a 
ton more energy than is necessary. Can we evaluate either of those factors on an ongoing basis? So year over year, what was the electric bill? Year over year, what did energy usage and water usage, et cetera, look like? Those are really meaningful data points that that type of company may already be measuring and just haven't identified as a potential ESG factor to follow. And the more that firms are working with their portfolio companies to evaluate what is material to those companies and then to put in some processes that, or maybe better said, to build off of processes likely already in place to start recognizing those data points on an annual basis. I think the clients that I've worked with, their eyes have really opened as to where the value can really come from and where the value earned and the value at risk can be evaluated. But just to repeat myself one more time, the best starting point is to begin from looking at what it is you're measuring. And I think that it's prudent for everyone listening that you have to figure out what is important to that portfolio company. Your firm may have its own set of values. I see lots of clients get very distracted by their own set of um, assumptions, their own set of ideals that they're interested in in the marketplace. For instance, you might want to offset your carbon, but the offset of carbon might be very immaterial to the underlying portfolio company. And in order to work on evaluating carbon and offsetting carbon, could just be a very onerous exercise that doesn't go anywhere. And we don't want ESG to be stuck in a form over function methodology. So I think that I can't repeat enough how important that is. Tricia, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if anyone wanted more information on Silver Regulatory Associates or more, even more specifically, uh, the ESG specialty services, how could they find out? I'm glad you asked. You can find us online at silverregulatoryassociates.com, where you'll find an overview of our firm and our ESG services, as well as our contact information. And I'm always in the market to have a conversation on ESG. Tricia, I greatly look forward to continuing this conversation. I found it absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Tom, thank you for having me. This is wonderful. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.